Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014. T.C. Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe and I'm here with T.C. Hale, author, natural health expert, producer. Weatherman. Weatherman. That's what I'm going to be now because it's nice in here now. It is nice, but uh, if it doesn't last for long, we're going to turn it on, right? We're going to turn on the AC. Oh, it's on. Oh, it's It's on. on. Oh, okay. It's just quiet now. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, And Hottie Patati Will Schmidt is coming to us from the Bay Area. What's up? Hi. Hi. You You have AC too, Will? Yeah. All the cool kids have AC. We learned that a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We learned that you don't want to try to record a show without AC. You really don't. Not when you live in mm-hmm. L.A. Right. Um, so today's show topic is metabolic typing. Dun, 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 dun. It's going to be an exciting one. And if you haven't joined us on Facebook yet, go to Kick It In The Nuts. That's where we post all of our show topics we'll be doing in the future. You guys can ask any questions you want us to cover and maybe even pitch a show or two. Yeah, and we'll cover it. I think today's show is actually going to have uh, spills and thrills. Oh, nice. Right? Because I'm going to spill my water in a second? Yeah. Okay. And that'll thrill most of us if all this stuff electrocutes yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Be uh, a little, that'll be something to talk about on the next show. Give us something to talk about. That's right. Next show topic, recovering from electrocution. <laughs> I we'll think have, it was just a biological thing. You it know? Probably, it's probably about Nothing digest- to do with just, electricity. Just, di- just fix digestion mm-hmm. and you won't get it, electrocuted it's anymore. It's the sugar. It's the sugar. Right. Nailed it. Electricity follows sugar. Yeah, so, Will, we're going to talk about some things in this show. Uh, why don't we just start with Mary's question, and then we'll answer that, and that'll be half of this show. Okay, Mary, Ooh. Mary, why you bugging? Mary says, meta what? Right. So, a lot of people have heard of metabolic typing, and um, we just wanted to kind of do a show to kind of explain the aspects of it that we used to use, the aspects of it that we use, the aspects of it that kind of seem like crap and seem to confuse people or um, it's just one of those things. It's kind of like, you know, alkalizing where there's so much out there about alkalizing and people get so many wrong ideas and there's so many pH gurus uh, telling us that everybody needs to alkalize or they're going to die on Thursday. Um, so we wanted to kind of straighten some of that out because when it comes to metabolic typing, there really are some things of, of great value. And, uh, but the cases that you use them are, can be a little less frequent. Uh, so the cases where they really do some magic, but it can still be, be a piece of information that you look at and that you gain value from it. And we do when we use it, but we also hear from people that say, oh, I got tested for metabolic typing and then my left arm didn't work anymore. So we kind of want to um, explain how it works, uh, the best ways to use it. But then we also want to talk about some things that we have discovered that if you just kind of fix this problem, you don't have to worry about it so much anymore. So let, let's start off with just the basics of maybe, um, you know, first of all, there's more than one view on uh, or one definition of metabolic and, typing. And what really. is it? It's just like... 
what kind of me metabolism you have? Is that basically it or what? Not so much. And that's what maybe what, maybe what some people think. Um, it, it, it's more about people do metabolic typing testing and then they're looking to see if there are specific foods that may help you for your metabolic type. That you may be able to eat these foods and improve issues that are going on. Anything from simple sim symptoms like fatigue all the way up to... Crazy. Is this what you do, like the, with the imbalances or something to do? We do a part of this. We use this as part of what we look at when we look at somebody's physiology. So there are aspects of this that we'll talk about that we, you know, we look at this and we mm -hmm. feel like this is important. Um, but most people doing this work, uh, and we're going to talk about some of the founders of this work that go back hundreds of years. And Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Cool. This is what he this is why he's on a penny. Nice. Is because he uh did some metabolic typing and it made him tall. Mm-hmm. Made him tall. Maybe maybe I made that up, Will. Yeah. All right. So that part was made up. But <laughs> what we want to look at is uh and we this may go two parts. We have, we may get into some of the original thinkers of this and and the aspects of their theories that we use today, we may have to do that next week. Um, but let's just talk a little bit about uh, that most people doing this work will do like a huge intake form with someone where they'll have this huge questionnaire where they'll ask a whole bunch of questions like, uh, does this food make you feel good at breakfast? If you eat this in the morning or at lunch, do you get energized? And, um, you know, questions like that that kind of give some indications of uh, one thing is where your autonomic nervous system may be and the rate uh, of your oxidation rate. And we've talked about oxidation rate a little bit in a show that we did on metabolism. Do you remember that, Will? I do. I it was do. a long time ago. Right. We were um, friends back then, too. Yeah. Yeah. Go way back. Yeah, so let's talk about those few couple of things because most of the people doing this metabolic typing, and there's a lot of people that have varieties of this. I think it's uh, Bill Wilcott who wrote the book, The Metabolic Typing Diet, who actually trademarked the term mm -hmm. metabolic typing. So like he owns it, but he, he'll tell you right off, you know, I didn't come up with this. I just, I, I followed the work of other people in the past and then tweaked some things and made my own discoveries as I did that. But most of the people are doing the work this way. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about um, the autonomic nervous system and, and how imbalances can affect different things there? And maybe we'll talk about the oxidation rates and try to put together just a picture of how metabolic typing works in the general aspect. Yeah. Um, Wilcott wrote a, a really nice book on it. I think our, my original exposure to it, and possibly the OG guy around metabolic typing uh, that even predates the term, would be a guy we've mentioned many times, Dr. George Watson, who really wrote, a, he wrote an incredible book called Nutrition in Your Mind which he, uh, he kind of discovered some really important things on accident when he was researching the effects of different vitamins and nutrients and minerals. Um, he was researching how it was impacting a uh, sense of smell and like people's responses to different nutrients. And he started to notice that um, certain people would have really intense, either beneficial or adverse reactions to different sets of nutrients. And he found like over decades of like, you know, paying attention to this, he found that there was a set of nutrients, uh, various vitamins, minerals that would really help uh, certain people, and they would really mess up other people. And there was another set of nutrients that would help the people that were hurt uh, by the first set, 
of nutrients and it would mess up the people that were benefited by the first set of nutrients. Does that make sense? Yeah. So some people, uh, an orange would make them feel fantastic and it would wreck some other people. And another set of people, the people that got wrecked by the orange would feel better and and vice versa kind of thing. Yeah, they would feel better when they had, say, like, I don't know, a, a potato or something. Right. Like it it yeah. really was not orange and I was just making stuff up. Yeah, and it was much more specific, like niacin or something like that, you know? So with that, he was he was uh, looked further at, like, okay, why do these different nutrients impact these different groups of people differently? And he, through a lot of, like, research looking at their, um, their blood markers and uh, other biomarkers related to their metabolism, like their breath rate and their oxygen to CO2 levels in their blood and specific gravity and all these things. A lot of these guys, and I think he was doing too, was really he was testing the pH of the blood. Uh, yeah. Looking at it yeah. that way. Yeah, in his book, he lays out exactly what lab markers he was watching and classifies really clearly these different groups, which um, I don't think he actually called slow or fast oxidizers, but that's kind of how we generally refer to them in your books. I think you also, for simplicity's sake, sometimes refer to them as fat burners or carb burners. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, either way, like the distinction is that, that Watson was really making was around the speed at which an individual burns glucose for fuel. That's like a very kind of specific um, uh, distinction that's not necessarily what everybody means when they classify you in a metabolic type, um, but that's what he meant. And he was kind of the, one of the founding thinkers around this paradigm. And not everyone fits totally into uh, black or white, one category or the other. Some people are kind of balanced. Some people are sub-oxidizers, like they're just not making energy at all well either way from like from fats or carbs. Um, so in, in his book, he gets into that. He says, you know, there's these, these like um, beta slow oxidizers and tricarboxylic fast oxidizers. And there's mixed who are kind of balanced people. And then there's sub-optimal people that just don't make much energy at all. So even in his original book, he made those kind of distinctions. But the main thing that we want to, I think, kind of focus on and that we uh, help people assess in their own chemistry is looking at, are you leaning more towards um, being really uh, good at using carbohydrates for energy and maybe even a little bit uh, excessively relying on carbohydrates for energy, which some people would then like have some markers that would show them to be what we call carb burners or fast oxidizers? Or are you someone who has a really hard time utilizing carbohydrates effectively for energy and maybe your body's relying more on fats? Then we would say you're maybe more of a fat burner and uh, there, might be, there might be work to do either way, whether you're more of a carb burner or a uh, fat burner to try to get your body good at using the, both types of fuel and and it's not like um, you just are that way, like you just are Virgo or you just are short. It's like you can change these things metabolically, like through your diet and nutrition. So I like to refer it as to refer to it as a metabolic tendency rather than a metabolic type. Right. That's a good. That's a good way to view it. And you know, one thing that Watson really did is he went from helping, you know, look, studying the effect of smell, and ended up working with people that were flat on schizophrenic and psycho. And what he found was that if he could adjust the diet to uh, work accordingly to what the issue was, the person was dealing with, that he could pull a person out of schizophrenia and uh, make people that were literally locked up in insane houses uh, be able to function normally and, 
and not have the symptoms that they were dealing with before. Mm -hmm. And what we looked at was that he, he found that if uh, the pH of someone's blood was leaning towards the alkaline side, uh, that they would oxidize um, the foods at a slower pace. And so let's say, uh, well, let me take this further. And, and what he found was that some foods were easier to oxidize and rip through that fuel faster, while other foods took much more effort to oxidize through them, uh, especially foods that are higher in purine proteins um, like uh, salmon, steak, uh, sardines, anchovies, or just to name a few. So what he found was that if someone was a fast oxidizer and ripping through this fuel too quickly and they were eating foods like uh, you know chicken breast that were very easy to oxidize, that they would rip through all the fuel too quickly. They'd be left with nothing for their brain to function on, and they would become psychotic. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't mean to look at Kenna when I said that. Uh huh. You looked straight at me. That was weird, right? Um, but I remember that we talked before on a show that I think before Kenna was here that I had a, another assistant working for me that was literally had spent most of her life in and out of. Uh, psycho wards. You remember I hope us she's talking not about listening. She might be listening. It's okay. From a psycho ward. Right. Yeah, she's listening from there. Um, but she was diagnosed as schizophrenic and when I tested her, she was a, a very strong fast oxidizer. And we'll come back to how we figure that out in one second. Um, but she was extreme in that right. So when I gave her foods with higher purine proteins like dark chicken, like chicken thighs instead of chicken breast. Um, or chicken legs, and she had like anchovies or sardines or something, then it gave her fuel that acted like a a slow-release Tylenol capsule might act, where it just kind of dissolves more slowly and allows her to have fuel uh, all through the day um, to where she could function and think and her brain worked and she was a normal human being. And like there were days where she wouldn't have the right type of foods and it showed in a big way, and I'd be like, "Hey, why don't we? Why don't we have some sardines? Maybe, maybe that'd oh, be God, delicious." That's so disgusting, <laughs> right? Ugh. Yeah, and, and I think anchovies helped her more than anything, but they got really gross. And then she she started like just chopping them up into little pieces and putting them in like a tomato sauce where you couldn't really mm-hmm. taste it, but she was still getting that. Um, <laughs> so, in, anyways, this was the work that Watson was doing: is that he was helping people that were literally psychotic. Um, pull out of that just by changing their nutrition. So in this respect, um, with someone that is in a severe case like this, we find that changing their food is almost like magic. And I've seen it, you know, on a number of occasions and it's unbelievable. So I think that can be one of those areas where metabolic typing gets, oh my gosh, everybody has to do this and this is going to change your whole life. But when you find someone who is more in the middle, they're not so severe on on one side, or maybe they have other issues that are more important than this uh, metabolic typing type stuff, that it doesn't really affect anything. And that's where you get people saying, oh, well, this is garbage, and why haven't any, why doesn't this in the medical world? So it must be false since we haven't had uh, any type of uh, uh, studies done on it or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, But the reality is that I, I think what Will and I find is that there are usually other factors that are more important or most people don't exist on such an extreme that when you change the food in in these metabolic typing diets, you're not going to see such a huge effect or 
that their digestion isn't working, so they can't really break down the foods anyways. It doesn't really matter, and they don't see an effect. And so they say, well, this is garbage. Yeah. And I think that's the like the value of the whole set of different imbalances that you talk about in your books and we talk about in your courses that are important to look at. Your electrolyte levels, the catabolic-anabolic imbalance, the autonomic nervous system, your metabolic type, your pH balance, and your digestion. Like All of those things are super important factors. And for example, you could read like, you'd be like, oh, Watson's awesome. I'm going to like totally follow his thing and try to fix my, I'm crazy. I just want to be normal again. And you, you totally avoid the foods that he says to avoid and emphasize, you know, you kind of classify like, oh, I think I'm a fast oxidizer, whatever it is. And you try to follow his supplement protocol and his diet. And you're like, ah, I don't feel any better. I just feel like super constipated and gross. And I still have all my same issues that didn't work. And the problem with that is you may have correctly assessed that you were either like a slow or a fast oxidizer, but you didn't get to the bottom of why. Like you were just talking about, Tony, with maybe you have digestive issues that are preventing you from being able to really access all the different types of foods you're eating. Like maybe you don't have enough acid to break down protein, so it's just not available even if you eat the right kinds. Or fats, like you have issues processing those, or there's maybe some things that are wrong with, uh, that are in the way of your cells using carbohydrates for energy. Any one of those things, uh, it may result in you being in a metabolic tendency or metabolic type imbalance, but you may not be able to fix it just by following someone like Watson's advice, because you have to get to the bottom of why your body personally is imbalanced. And when you do, like say you do correct your digestion and you eat the right diet, then all of a sudden you fix yourself and all your your self-test scores show up as in the healthy range and your symptoms disappear and it's awesome. Yeah, here's one of the biggest problems with metabolic typing is is that say somebody finds that they're a fast oxidizer and so this metabolic typing diet will tell them to eat more things like dark chicken steak, organ meats like liver. Um, Well, all those high purine uh, proteins are harder to break down. They're harder to digest uh, on top of the fact that they're harder to, to oxidize. So if someone's digestion is not working in a manner that allows them to properly break down protein, you just gave them food that's harder to break down. You gave their digestive system that was not working correctly a harder task to complete, and so that person's going to be wrecked. They're, yep. Now they're now they're going to get even less fuel out of the protein they were eating before. So that's a significant problem. So that's a big issue that we have with people doing just metabolic typing uh, diets, um, because you're not looking at some of the other issues that are that are important. Yeah. That said, though, like for me, learning about that was the most important thing. But also, like seeing how it was connected to pH, as you were talking about, like people with. Yeah. More alkaline bloodstream, being more slower oxidizers. Let's explain how we how we view that because a lot of you know you know uh, Watson and a lot of these guys were doing like they had to suck blood out of you and look at pH. A lot of the guys are looking at three thousand questions that they uh, have a new client ask. Um, We find that if you can really look at the pH of the blood and get an idea of where that is, that that's the strongest indicator that's going to give the best idea of are you leaning too fast as an oxidizer or too slow. So you want to explain how we view that and why 
why it comes about? Yeah. And I guess to really point out, like his doctors or someone that may be listening to this, they'd be like, oh, that's it. Your 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 blood pH is always seven. We got a bleep. We haven't had a bleep in a while. Yeah, That's pretty exciting. It wasn't me. I know, and it wasn't Kenna. Wow. It was, it's getting a little too G-rated. Uh-huh. So I just, yeah, you know, you're macho. But a lot of a lot of like you know medical professionals might be hearing this. Like, That's garbage. Your your pH of your blood is always exactly like seven point three six five or right around there within a tenth of a point, and that's totally true in most cases. Except like extreme, like diabetic kids, ketoacidosis, something like that. But what your body is having to do to maintain that blood pH is a whole different story. Right. So, for example, your respiration rate is possibly, arguably, the best indicator of are you maintaining a balanced oxidative rate? That's because your body is subconsciously controlling the rate at which it takes in oxygen and breathes out CO2. And the way that whole thing happens is when you breathe in oxygen, that oxygen gets carried by your blood. Then when it runs into carbonic acid, it releases the oxygen to the tissues like your muscles. And then they use that oxygen to perform an energy production process called cellular respiration in which they make an energy, uh, a functional molecule called ATP, which helps with all sorts of different functions. And it also makes carbon dioxide. And that's where you get the carbon dioxide that you then breathe out. The blood picks that back up, takes it back to the lungs, and you exhale it. So the rate at which you're doing that, uh, correct, like effectively using oxygen to make ATP and CO2, that will largely determine your breath rate. There are other things like stress and adrenaline that can kind of modify that. But when you're doing that in a balanced, healthy speed, you're said to be like a balanced oxidizer, a mixed oxidizer, and your breath rate is around 16 breaths per minute. When people are bad at that, like diabetics who are not good at all at using glucose for energy and making CO2, they have a much slower breath rate. So we call them slower oxidizers. They're using oxygen more slowly and their breath rate's closer to like sometimes as slow as four, uh, a lot of the times down around like eight or 10. And then the opposite side of that, someone's super fast around like 18, 19, even 20 breaths per minute. They're fast oxidizers. If you're a health, fitness, or nutrition professional, check out our other podcast, Six Figure Health Pro. We dig into the latest marketing techniques and business growing strategies for health professionals. To learn how to take your business to the next level, search for Six Figure Health Pro on iTunes or Stitcher, or go to sixfigurehealthpro.com to learn more. Now do what you're told. Right, and we, and we start to see people start to have a lot of those mental and emotional issues up around 24 like it's it's considerably faster when you mm-hmm. see it um and when i see someone that has a breath rate you know 25 i'm like oh you're you're a little bit you're a little bit people say that you're nuts huh yeah. like they'll, they'll say like yeah my my boyfriend thinks i'm crazy and yeah. and uh so and not that it's always a girl that's not what i'm mm-hmm. saying yeah i just was Sexist. using i was using that example from the girl that worked here before um <laughs> but uh so it's a you can do your own breath rate at home with your phone app. There's like a stopwatch on there. Do you want to explain how we do that, Will? Yeah, you just um, sit or lay down somewhere and place a, whether your iPhone or a timer or something on your chest or your upper abdomen. Yeah, this only works for Apple products, not for Android. Yeah. 
Yeah, Android. <laughs> Apple TV. <laughs> yeah, on your right. Chest. No, any timer is fine. Yeah. So then you just start the timer at the beginning of a breath and count how many full breaths you take. So an inhale and exhale counts as one breath. And you count how many breaths you take in a minute. And then you know your breath rate. Yeah, so it's pretty simple. And it's, so it's a pretty simple way to look at, okay, am I pretty balanced? And maybe I don't really need to worry about this. Or is my breath rate seven and I know that there's a problem? Yeah. So that's a good starting point when you're looking at trying to figure out any type of metabolic stuff. Yeah, it's it's a really good foundation. There are other markers you can use to help further confirm that, some of which are pretty easy to do, some of which are a little bit harder. And it's also good to know that your breath rate can be affected by other things. Like if you just had a bunch of caffeine or you just did like a really intense workout or you're super scared, all those sort of things can change your breath rate. Um, but if you're just, it's a general like kind of normal moment, you're like in between meals, you just, you know, everything's kind of chill. That's a good time to take your resting breath rate. Um, some other markers you can look at that can further confirm that we, we talk about this in the, in the uh, health coach course that we have where you look at your fasting uh, blood glucose, your urine-specific gravity, your blood pressure, your urine and saliva pHs, and if you have some fancy tools, you can even look at your ammonia levels in your urine and saliva, and those can also give further indication of what category you fall into. We're going to talk about some of those, too, next week, too, when we talk about some of the original teachers of this. But uh, most of the metabolic typing diets uh, will also look at the fact that is a person autonomically dominated, where... Are they leaning in a in an overly parasympathetic state or an overly sympathetic state? Do you want to explain the difference between those a little, Will? Yeah. So um, there are different hormones that will be dominant in one state or the other and different functions that your body will be optimized for. The sympathetic state we talk about is the fight or flight state, and it's good for fighting or running away or problem solving. And with it, you'll have things prioritized like blood flow to your large muscle groups, decreased emphasis on digestion, decreased emphasis on like sex and reproduction, uh, increased emphasis in certain uh, problem solving areas of the brain, altered blood flow. So like your there's less blood flow towards your extremities. So you won't bleed out if you get cut as, as much. And then in the parasympathetic state, it's much more um, optimized for digestion, resting, um, intimacy, and you have greater blood flow to your extremities. You have uh, more of a gag reflex. You have um, your pupil size will change also. It'll be smaller when you're in the parasympathetic and more dilated in the sympathetic. So there's all these things that your body does physiologically. Um, and your digestion and your blood sugar and your environment and your mental state and your thoughts, they all impact where you are. Right. So these both of these states are appropriate in the body. Neither of them are, are wrong. The body... Uh, moves back and forth between these states um, during the appropriate time. So if you're being chased by a lion, your body will move you into this sympathetic state to help you jack up your adrenaline and get all these hormones going and fuel that allows you to run away from the lion. But in the world that we live in, it's limited how often you get chased by a lion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not that often. Haven't that often. I haven't even not even one. Yeah, it's been weeks. But I did see a skunk drive in front of my car the other day, mm-hmm. which really freaked me out. I was like, that would not be fun. Uh, I, I think I would run from that just like I would a lion. But um, the problem is that the world that we live in, 
people live in a state where they always feel like they're running from a lion, like their boss is a prick or... Uh, Don't I know it. Right, yeah. Ken is familiar with that. Yeah. Or, you know, even just traffic is stressing them out because they're late, but they live in this stress state uh, along with the options of all these physiological issues that can push a person into that stress state or into an overly parasympathetic state. So with this metabolic typing, they look at people that are... Uh, push too far in one of these states and then they view that as having an uh, uh, an effect on the blood pH and then they'll give them specific foods to eat to help uh, balance out the pH of the blood. They view that these foods will have a, an alkalizing effect on this group of people and an acidification effect on this group of people and the opposite in others. So it, it, that can be a little complicated. You can get deep into that science but what we find is that with most of those issues that are taking place, if someone is overly parasympathetic, there's another issue that is causing that. And if you try and figure out what the underlying cause is, you can repair that problem so that they don't have to eat specific foods to balance things out. They can just help their body become balanced. Yeah. Can we explain a little bit? You know, we look at different... Factors like electrolytes, we look at the, the cellu- where the body is at at the cellular state and, uh, and some other factors and we kind of have a hierarchy of things that we feel are the most important and sometimes when you fix like the most important thing, there's this cascade of things that can kind of improve by fixing the most important things. Yeah, I'd say one kind of straightforward and the most common uh, one that I'll see is when people are in an electrolyte deficient state, their uh, nervous system will be kind of stuck in fight or flight because it's trying to accommodate. Um, when you're in fight or flight, like I talked about, you have altered blood flow. So it will constrict your vascular system. So there's less space that the blood needs to fill up. So that will create more pressure. Um, and when the blood pressure is raised, that feels good to someone who has chronically low blood pressure, like an electrolyte deficient person. So their nervous system will very frequently throw itself into the sympathetic fight or flight state to try to elevate bl- low blood pressure. And they and, and it helps. It does help them like be able to function. But then they feel stressed out all the time because they're they're in this fight or flight state all the time. Right. And the you know, just a pure like um, metabolic typer would be like, oh, you're sympathetic dominant. Let's see what we can do to calm down your nervous system. Take these adaptogens, emphasize these minerals and just like low, like slow, like it's let's shut down sympathetic and increase parasympathetic. And whether, you know, if you're successful at that, you just created a bigger problem because now you turned off their body's coping mechanism and now their blood pressure is super low and they're like passing out and can't sleep. Or and depressed. They, and Yeah, they can't think. They're super depressed. They have no energy because their blood pressure is now like way, way low. And so that's one. It's a really good example of someone finding someone with a metabolic problem, addressing it, but not really addressing the underlying cause. I, yeah. I think another great example is someone being stuck in a parasympathetic state. Uh, but the reality is that they their digestion is not functioning correctly. So the body may just be pushing them as far into the rest and digest state that it can possibly go just to get any kind of digestion functioning at all. So they're stuck in this parasympathetic state, but what they really need 
is to fix the digestive issues so that they can break down food properly and the body won't have to be so severely in that state. Yeah. Another really common example is someone who's a very, you can call them insulin resistant or someone who's pre-diabetic or diabetic, basically not good at being able to use sugar effectively in their cells. Their body will often throw itself into the fight or flight state to try to speed glycolysis, to speed the use of sugar. Uh, so the hormones that are associated with the sympathetic state can help do that. So it'll help get s- at least some energy to their brain and their organs so they can keep running. Um, but then they're kind of stuck in a fight or flight sense of, uh, sense of things. And that makes it, it's not only stressful, but it's also deprioritizes other important functions like regeneration of damaged tissues digestion, elimination of waste. Right. It's a lot of, a lot of issues going on. So even if someone is autonomically dominated, there are often usually a lot of other uh, underlying causes above it that, that are more important. And same with someone as if it is an overly fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer. Um, there's steps that we've found that just seem to work better than trying to uh, have them match up with the perfect food forever until it figures out a way to fix itself. Um, now, in an emergency situation, like the person who's schizophrenic and are a super fast oxidizer and, and they just can't function, I'll say, hey, if you eat these foods while we're trying to fix some of these other things, you may feel better almost right away. But I like to, if someone has a breath rate of 24, I like to see them get that down. And there's steps you can take, like, you know, like choline is an excellent supplement that will help uh, balance that out a little bit. If someone's blood breath rate is super low, maybe they need help uh, processing carbohydrates correctly. Uh, maybe they could just drink some carbonated water in between meals to help raise their CO2 level and acidify that blood so that oxygen can get to the right place and be utilized correctly. Um, we just find that other steps seem to work better than giving this person a list of foods that they need to eat and a list of foods that they need to avoid and having them stick with that uh, indefinitely yeah. or, or yeah. until they test and find that it has changed. Yeah, and it it's a cool – sometimes it's totally appropriate to do both at once. Like, right. Right. Eat the right foods and work on your digestion or take the right set of supplements that, you know, fit your metabolic type and, you know, address your blood pressure or whatever else it is. And that can that can really help. Like for me, it totally helped for me to take a supplement that uh, acidified my bloodstream. It right. was this product called Mito Energy, which was awesome. And I think it was actually that formula was originally the same set of nutrients George Watson Correct. used. Right. And someone else made it into a really cool product to help speed breath rate. And it totally worked for me. I've, I've talked in past episodes about how I had really intense fibromyalgia and they didn't know what was causing it. And I was just too alkaline. So I had created this super slow oxidation rate in my cells. And uh, it was because of the pH imbalance that I had created from, by following an alkaline diet. And the Mito Energy fixed me up in like a day. It right. was ridiculous let's take one more question then we're gonna have to finish this other stuff up next week okay stephanie houston texas at what age can you figure out the metabolic type of a child so this could be a little bit of a tricky situation but one thing that i I wanted to make sure that stephanie understood is that if you're going to look at the breath rate of someone um depending on the age of a child the breath rate could be much faster like babies like zero to six months have a much faster breath rate like 
30 to 60. Like, I remember when Jax was born, I was like, I wonder what the birth rate of a kid would be like. And he was like 47 in a minute. And I was like, no wonder they think babies are crazy. That's what I would see in an insane person. Like, an insane person would be like 30. You know, that you would think, oh my gosh, that person is having a real hard time functioning at all. But babies are way up there. So, um, if you're going to look at that, you have to understand that as kids age, that can change. And even, uh, I can't remember exactly, but up, up until like 12 or so, their breath rate can considerably be a, a little bit higher. So um, anytime I'm w trying to help somebody that has a kid or something like that, I always want to do anything as gentle as possible. And I do know that some people doing this work have had success with kids with issues like, you know, ADHD and, and, and behavioral issues, uh, stuff like that. And it makes sense if you listen to our ADHD uh, uh, episode or we have another one on um, emotionally unstable kids and we talk about how sugar spikes and crashes and low mineral levels and all these other issues can affect a kid's ability to perform correctly. Um, but when you're looking at the metabolic type of a kid, you have to understand that things are changing pretty, pretty quickly as that kid is growing at a at a at a more rapid rate than rate than we would as adults. Do you have anything to add to this, Will? Yeah, I just really important to emphasize the biomarkers are really different. You should have very different expectations for their blood pressure and their breath rate, and who knows what what other markers like pHs and things like that, how they can be different as well. Um, there are certain things that should still like apply. For example, uh, the urine dipstick test we talk about, like, mm -hmm. there's still, there still should not be bilirubin or urobilogen or protein in their urine. So that's true. But there are other markers like where their specific gravity should be and all that. That it's it's pretty different as a kid. So. And yeah. also when you're going to try to help a kid, I really like to do things that are just a little more gentle. Like instead of using HCL to help a, somebody fix digestion – I might have a kid just eat a pickle after a meal and help it have that pickle, uh, the vinegar and such, help acidify that. Or maybe they just use a little bit of apple cider vinegar to help acidify that meal a little bit. You know, using something like sea salt to just lift some mineral levels, uh, it seems to be just a more gentle approach that you would use with a kid. And with most most kids today, it's not about the fact that you need to understand their metabolic type. It's the, the fact that they need to eat something other than Cheetos, something yeah. that is, is, is actual food and is not going to create this huge insulin spike and this huge uh, blood sugar crash that's going to leave them with no fuel to function correctly. So I think that's a really big thing when you're looking at kids is that a lot of times they're not as broken as we are. Uh, they just need a little bit of help uh, to just give the body some of the things that it needs. You know, we restrict salt now, which is a, a mistake. We Sea salt is can be very beneficial um, to give all the minerals that the body needs to, to operate. Um, but doing little steps like that can make a big difference with a kid. Yeah, I've seen other huge things, like maybe someone thinks their kid is for sure a fast oxidizer. And part of it is like, they have very responsive cells. Like they haven't done a lot of damage to themselves yet because they're so youthful still. So when you give them sugar, they're able to use it and they start to like crazy hyperventilate and they have very good insulin sensitivity and they run around like nuts. But then you give that to someone 20 years later and they fall asleep. Right. You know, different insulin response. 
But one thing that I have seen work super well with a number of kids that have been diagnosed with ADHD or ADD is collagen protein because the glycine, that's the most abundant amino acid in there, is a very calming. Uh, it actually works as a neurotransmitter. So your body uh, will have a hormonal response to collagen protein in that most of the stuff kids eat these days is excitatory, like things that induce nitric oxide or other excitatory neurotransmitters where they're like all fidgety and twitchy and can't sit still and can't pay attention, ADD sort of symptoms. Glycine works to counter that. It lowers the threshold of neuron firing. So it'll help their neurons just be more calm and less reactive. Right. Um, so something like bone broth that contains a lot of that or some any type of collagen gelatin type of yeah. uh, stuff could be beneficial in that way. Yeah. And I've seen kids really like like collagen protein shakes where you put a little fruit or stevia in it or jello, making uh, jello out of a quality gelatin like Great Lakes Gelatin. Uh, company has a good grass-fed one you can get and make like a not, jello. Not the Bill Cosby jello. Not Bill Cosby jello pudding crap, no. But like uh, the yeah, you can make. There's a lot of homemade recipes for Great Lakes gelatin you can use. Yeah, that's one that we get that you can get on Amazon uh, yeah, or a lot of, just about any kind of health food store. Jerry Seinfeld's wife, like you know, put spinach sneak, and sneak, sneak, sneak stuff, stuff in into there, food, like baked know? foods that with like purees of or, spinach yeah, and they, stuff yeah, like that. And, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Which is which is great. I think that's. That's good. It's good to be sneaky. And then you cover that taste with pounds of sugar. Yeah, yeah. That that way, that way they'll eat it. No, no, that's not always good. Okay, so uh, we're gonna have to wrap up here, and we'll cover the rest of this. But next week, we're gonna talk a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the early thinkers of not only the metabolic typing stuff, but other things that we use above and beyond that that make us kind of view some of the metabolic typing as lower down on the totem pole a little bit, and that. Uh, might alter our thinking about some of the um, things that a lot of people view about this type of stuff. Cool. Cool. I didn't get to any commercials today. That's okay. Cool. We're not very commercially, I guess. All right. We're not selling anything today, yeah. people. We're just selling knowledge. Okay, so if you want to learn more about how to look at your own chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the almost free four-week digestion course at kickitnaturally.com, or you can head on over to Will Schmidt's mybodyofknowledge.net. He's got a lot of great info on there, blogs, all kinds of like pain relief videos, and of course, half-dressed pictures of himself. Who so. wouldn't want that? All right. all right. See you guys next week. See you next all week. Right. Bye. Yeah.